Hey, beautiful humans. It's time to stop sacrificing for everyone else and put you first. Are you feeling tired, stuck, or disconnected? Or maybe you're just looking to be the best version of you. I'm Mary Wong. And I'm Dr. Tanya Wild, and this is Embrace, Embrace You First, a podcast to help you thrive and not just survive. We are busy moms, successful entrepreneurs, and doctors in the field of natural medicine with over 40 years combined clinical experience. You're going to learn from our professional expertise and our juicy secrets that have helped thousands of men and women just like you. We are going to teach you practical and doable strategies on health, relationships, and career. So sit back, relax, and get ready to embrace you right now. Kimberly Ann Johnson is in the house. We are super thrilled to have her and welcome. Thanks, Mary. (laughs) Okay. So just to give you a backstory, um, I actually listened to a podcast that was Amy Porterfield's, uh, it's called Talking Body and you were on it. And when you actually, or she asked you, oh, what is a vagina practor? I'm like, what? And then (laughs) I heard you more and I thought oh my gosh we have to get you on this show because you totally align with us so uh, we're super excited to have you here and we're going to talk about your new book which literally gets released today we're um, recording prior but we're releasing it on the day of your book release so it's called call of the wild how we heal trauma awaken our own power and use it for good so you need to check it out because we're uh, before we go into the deep dive, we're going to look at, you know, how to help women tap into the wisdom and resilience of their body to rewire their nervous system, heal from trauma and live fully. And so before we do that, we want to just um, share your bio with our viewers and listeners. And so aside from being a yoga teacher, postpartum advocate and single mom, Kimberly Johnson is a sexological, sexological body worker and somatic experiencing practitioner. She has been working hands-on for more than a decade, helping women heal and recover from birth injuries, gynecological surgeries, and sexual boundary violations. Kimberly is also the author of the early mothering classic, The Fourth Trimester, who we've both been telling all our pregnant patients and postpartum patients to read. And she's also the host of the Sex, Birth, and Trauma podcast. So welcome, Kimberly. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I want you, Mary, please share first the funny story that we were talking about before we hopped on here about that (laughs) term. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, first of all, I guess we're going to be asking you what the heck is a vagina practor. And in fact, beyond that, it's, I think a lot of people will kind of scratch their heads and go, what is a sexological body worker? And what is a somatic experiencing practitioner, right? All of that. But with the vagina practor, which I love the name of, and I get it, right? Comparing Mm -hmm. it to a chiropractor. When I was telling one of my patients about you and I said vagina practor, she, she thought I said vagina raptor. (laughs) <laughs> so I'm like, oh my God, she's like a dinosaur. <laughs> so I love that. Just so you know, you might, you can use it if you want. <laughs> oh so anyway, to bring it back, what are all those three hats that you wear, which is, I guess, leading to the same kind of thing? Thank you. Uh, so those are my skill set. So somatic experiencing is a training about trauma recovery, and it's about how to track trauma recovery in the body through physiology. 
Sexological bodywork is a field that includes genitals and bodywork. So most people listening probably are aware that if you go for a massage, you get draped so that none of your private parts are showing or available. Um, I'm a rolfer in rolfing. We basically touch almost every part of the body, including the mouth and the nose, but we, the genitals are off limits, not touched. And when I, after I had a baby and I realized how much reparative work my own pelvic floor needed, I realized how crazy it is that all the modalities that I was into at that time didn't offer any kind of healing or therapeutic. There was a lot of um, what I'm going to call lip service at this moment, because I knew a lot about Mula Bunda and I knew a lot about my pelvic floor, but it wasn't, none of it was helping me heal. So sexological body work is the field that gives me scope of practice to work with genitals. I don't work with arousal specifically. I help people. I'm an educator. So I help people address their arousal questions. Um, but mostly I'm doing scar tissue remediation, working with um, prolapse, incontinence, all kinds of gynecological surgeries, abortions, loss. Just um, most women know they've had experiences that radically changed their relationship to their pelvis or their relationship to their sexuality. And most women actually do know that there was a turning point at some point. And there's few people that can help them put the pieces together. There's people that can just help them with their mental health, which is what we hear about all the time, postpartum depression, postpartum depression. But there's not so many people that help with putting all the puzzle pieces together. So those were the modalities that I needed that helped me heal so that I could offer them to someone else. And then the vagina practice thing was just one day I was working on someone and they were lying on the table and I sit up on the table with the person while I'm working. And then she goes, oh, now I get it. You're a vagina practice. So she just <laughs> told me that because, uh, because I'm a rolfer, I think my work is very specific and very structural. And sometimes people are used to either like yoni massage, which is, has a completely different sort of frame or something more energetic like Tammy Lynn Kent's work that's like the wild feminine. And mine is very um, structural. So I think that's why she said that. And then, you know, it's, it takes so much explanation to even describe what I do because it's outside of the realm of what most people have heard that I just thought, okay, well, that's, that makes it a little simple at least. <laughs> no, it's great. I, I think it encapsulates, you know, what you're speaking to. <laughs> so whoever invented it, <laughs> it was accurate, right? <laughs> so then let's talk about trauma in itself, because you talked about, you know, scar tissueing and postpartum and all that stuff. So really, we're addressing trauma, and it is a wide scope. So what kind of trauma, um, beyond what you said, are you addressing in the call of the wild in your book and why? So the call of the wild originally was a response to the Me Too movement. What I was seeing was and all of us were seeing was women realizing that many things that they had ignored or or just hidden uh, the kind of people women are going back through a retrospective of their life going, was that okay? Is this okay with me? Was that normal? And in my world, because people already knew me for this work, there were lots of men calling me too, going, this happened with me. Was that normal? Kind of the I did it side of the me too. Like I had this experience when I was 15 and I said this and I did this. What should I do? And then the Kavanaugh case came up. And uh, I, through the last 10 years of my work, somatic experiencing is really working with the animal body. So it's working with not what our mind remembers, but what our body remembers. And 
sometimes those memories can come up as illnesses, syndromes, um, repetitive behavior. And I recognized I had a woman come to my office and she was there because she had become extremely sensitive since she had her third child. And she wasn't really wanting to go out of the house. She wasn't really wanting to sit very close to her husband. She couldn't exercise or like go for walks because if anyone approached her, she was like just feeling too reticent. And because she was already acting kind of rabbitish, I said, okay, well, let's play the wolf and the rabbit and you be the wolf and I'll be the rabbit. And the minute I said, you be the wolf, she started to cower and she started and she said, I'm frozen. I don't know what's happening. I can't move, but she could still talk. So I helped her through that literal physical freeze that was happening in real time. And then over a period of six sessions, I helped her develop the ability to be the wolf. So at that moment, I had like an aha moment, like, oh, it's not that women don't want to be, it's that their systems actually can't be. And we're living in this world where most of us have these very complex ideas about feminism. Our conditioning says we can do anything a man can do and we can do it better and maybe we should do it. And we're overriding a lot of what our body is telling us because we have these ideas. So our mind wants something like our mind says, oh yeah, I want to be sexual with this person, but our body is saying everything but that, but we're like, we want that. So we're pushing our body to do that. Or maybe it's healthcare. Maybe um, we know we want to have an abortion. We're not sure about the timing. We have all kinds of differing information on what the best kind of an abortion is. And we're going, we're not honoring the time of our body about how we might do that. And then there's an ensuing cascade of problems where we're bringing all of that stress forward with us into the subsequent medical visits. I'm sure you guys deal with this all the time, just a relationship with a healthcare provider and how difficult it is to form that trust. Or some people just take their hands off the wheel and are like, do anything to me. I'll just do anything, right? So this book is really about agency. It's about women finding their center and finding their voice so that they can in real time be an accurate translator of their body signals and not expect the doctor or the partner or whomever to, it's not that those people have necessarily any kind of bad interest. It's that they also don't have a fluid, fluid and fluent nervous system language to register when someone's in freeze, to register when they're fawning and they're just acquiescing, but really they're not feeling good about it. And so this book is about offering us all the puzzle pieces so that we can actually be communicating from what's actually happening. And we don't have to do so much you know, repair and backing up. I mean, we have a fair amount of repair just to do from the line upon which we're standing. But um, then the pandemic happened. And then I was about to deliver my book and it was like, okay, I'm writing a book on the nervous system. I can't deliver it because it's going to make no sense to read this without references to the fact that we're in a globally stressful situation where we've dealt with a lot of deaths. We're dealing with all the time in real time. How close should we be? Are you dangerous to me? Are you not dangerous? An invisible threat? What do I feel comfortable with? So it added a whole nother layer, not just to dating, but just for everything, parenting, proximity. So there's a chapter on attachment and boundaries um, and really just what this, how, what this system level repair looks like, which for most women, they think, oh, I'm stressed out or I'm getting recurring yeast infections or I've never healed from my birth. I need to relax and practitioners are doing everything to try to help them downregulate. When in my work, what's really shown up is that women need to have more capacity for activation and activate that inner huntress energy. 
is what tends to be the repair for the freezing and the flight and also for the fawning and fitting in mechanisms. What does activation look like? can look like anything. It can look like accelerated heart rate. It can look like breathing faster. It can look like arousal. That's why I think arousal can be so threatening sometimes is that if we're not used to having a capacity for charge, that arousal, it's like when you, I'm sure you've had patients that say like, well, I started to exercise, but I almost had a panic attack. Well, it actually wasn't a panic attack. It was just that your heartbeat was beating faster and you associate that with panic. And so you thought you were, you were, that was coupled for a panic attack, that kind of thing. Love it. So it's transforming your um, interpretation to what happens in your body as well. And I love how you speak to this because really I, I come from that TCM, traditional Chinese medicine line, and it really is completely parallel and in line because what we hold in your bodies in Chinese medicine, we say it's normal and healthy to experience all emotions, even the really uncomfortable ones, the undesirable ones, like the fear, the anger, the grief, the sadness. And, and a lot of people will want to reject it or they pretend that it's not there, so they deny it. And as you know, being a body worker, it just gets trapped. So I love it that you're doing this. So gosh, we're excited to hear more. <laughs> yeah, I love traditional Chinese medicine. It was a really helpful. It always has been, it's gotten me out of the hairiest places of my life for sure. Um, I had a, I have a good fortune of having a lot of friends who are acupuncturists. I live above an acupuncture clinic, actually. Oh. Um, my house is oh. actually, yeah, my apartment is above a clinic. Um, wow. And for sure, you know, especially coming from a yoga background, I think that TCM is just so grounding, right? Yoga can be very lofty and there's a lot of, I love yoga and I was a yoga teacher for a long time, but um, the groundedness of TCM and just the sort of, accurate response to what humanness is and how that's reflected in nature for me has always been very restorative. Your book doesn't purely focus on self-help as a mode of self-care, which I think is really important. Um, tell us more about shifting the reader from a me to we framework, you know, and how the social support is so important in that sense of community. Yeah. So I guess I kind of have a bone to pick with self-care just because of what I see it coming to mean, which is you know, um, of course, we all need a fundamental level of self-acceptance. That self-acceptance for me is the foundation of all my work. It's how I can help people heal because um, most of us come in thinking that there's something wrong with us that we need to fix. And if we come in with that uh, approach, we're already in a sympathetic state under stress. So we're already in a fixed approach. And if our practitioners are in that approach, that also impacts our healing because we can't also metabolize their wish for us to get us away from where we are. So it's always this sort of dual handed thing of, okay, what is it that's life enhancing and reinforcing for me where I am right now, not, you know, in my book, I talk about blueprints and imprints. Your blueprint is your soul that you come into this world with. That's very unique to you. It's not spirit. Spirit is universal. Spirit is something that's in all of us and it's what connects us, but our soul is uniquely us. And then we go through our life and we have imprints and those imprints are experiences that stick with us. And they can be very, very good ones or very, very bad ones or somewhere in between, but they're the things that 
they kind of create a little bit of static between our soul level blueprint and how we're interacting both with energy and with other people. And when I say energy, in this case, I mean like life force, like your actual vitality, what's available to you to be in relationship with all living beings. I never want to help anyone get rid of their imprints. Um, Our imprints are what make us us. Our imprints, if I hadn't had a a very difficult postpartum recovery and I hadn't been through my own relationships with sexual assault and with um, just a very challenging relationship with male authority, then I wouldn't have written this book either. So I'm not trying to get rid of those experiences or hope that they, you know, wish they didn't happen or regret them. I'm trying to help them integrate so that their residue dissolves so that my full soul expression can be apparent and available. So I'm a coherent person so that when I'm relating, I'm not relating to those past events and the present moment. I'm just relating to the present moment. So in some ways, you know, my book is really, I'm really trying to demystify the word trauma and destigmatize it. I don't think that um, it has to be a label that we stick with forever. It's something that we all experience because we are human animals But the difference between it just being an experience and an imprint and then a trauma is how much it's impacting just our ability to be present right now. I just want to just slow it down for a second, right? Mm -hmm. Because um, the word trauma can be very triggering for people. And the opposite can come true, too, is like trauma can be a word that be overwhelming. It's like, you know, I don't identify with that. People don't even recognize that they experience trauma in their lives. And it could be like little simple things. Right. So it would be great for you to pose some specific examples of perhaps day to day traumas. Obviously, you're talking about sexual traumas as well. But, you know, what kind of traumas are there? Can, can you speak more to this piece? Sure. Uh, so a trauma is an incomplete cycle. It's when the nervous system doesn't have the full, full chance to go on an upregulation and a downregulation. Sometimes like... Some people call it trauma like an interpersonal hangover. You know, you have an interaction that just can't complete itself. You're not resolving it. You didn't get to say what you wanted to say. Um, Somebody said something that's really offensive to you. Uh, There is a difference between stress and trauma. And I think it's important to highlight that. This word trauma, as you said, is something either people really cling to and say like, I'm so traumatized and that makes so much sense or I'm not traumatized at all. I don't have any trauma. Um, it's, It's unlikely that any human being on this earth doesn't have any trauma just because of socialization and the ways that we're taught to be polite and to behave and to, and, and that, And part of that is necessary to form a culture. Like, but at the same time, those thwarted impulses, those movements you can't make, those things that you can't say, that your instinctual body wants you to say, say or do, oftentimes get locked in the body. So if you think like you're walking across the street, and this has actually happened to me a couple of different times. I've seen it happen in various situations. And and a person trips, like I saw this older woman trip. And I walked up to her to help her get up and she wouldn't look at me. And she kind of just said, no, no, no. And she's very flustered. And then she just kept her head down and kept walking Um, because she was probably embarrassed. She was probably feeling like, oh, no, everyone saw me do this and like telling herself, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. What is the quote unquote right way to do that? Well, you would want to get yourself out of danger, but then you would want to slow down and pause 
And you would want to just notice what's happening. Is your heart rate going faster? Are you shaky? Um, what's happening around you? You'd want to be able to look up and orient yourself and see like, okay, where am I? And let yourself get caught up in the present moment. Um, this happened to me last year. I was wearing, I wear flip-flops all the time. I live in San Diego. I was wearing <laughs> flip-flops and I was going into a Pilates class and I tripped on the curb and I, I skinned my knee, but it was like more than skinning it. Like I, I had like a pretty deep little cut and I got in the studio and I'm already a total wild card in the studio. Like I'm the only one that's not wearing like the same thing that everyone else is wearing. And my hair is often completely disheveled. And I just, I don't <laughs> conform to like the Pilates outfit or like anything. <laughs> so I'm already, they're already kind of like, who is this person? Then I walk in with a bleeding knee and it was COVID. So we all have masks on. And so then I'm like making everything late. And then I do the whole class and my, my knees kind of hurting, but I got out of the class and I was like, why did I do that? Why did I keep going? Why did I, what was I proving? Why could I not have just stopped and taken care of myself? And then my knee continued to hurt because I did a whole bunch of knee movements right away when I had just heard it before I even let myself assess of just what was happening. And you know, the reason I did it was because I had already paid for the class. I'd already carved out the time. I'm a single mom away. And it was like, I didn't want to get give up all those things in my head to just deal with what was happening, which is like everybody in there, they're like, they don't want to touch, you know, they don't want to touch me. They, it was just like, it was so awkward and unnecessary for everyone, but mostly for me to, to continue. But that's what happens. We have this mental agenda of like, this is what I committed to, or this, or like, I want to run the half marathon. So who cares that like, I'm limping around. I want, want, want with my mind, but I'm not listening to my system and what my body's actually saying. And you know, is that a huge deal? And I'm, like, it's not like I'm carrying that forward. It was just for me now in my life, because I do make my body my compass and I'm not into beating myself into doing things that my system is definitely telling me it doesn't want to do. Uh, then it was just like, oh, that was just a minor boundary breach with myself of like how I could really care for myself. And who cares about the $30? Like, why was that the thing that was you know, but it's all happening in a flash, right? It, I didn't even realize that until I looked back. Um, so that's like one small example, but we have times when maybe our partner wants to engage or maybe we want to engage. You know, it's not just that our boundaries get breached. We breach other people's boundaries. Like we, we like to think, oh, I'm only in this role. I'm only the victim or I'm only the prey. But we breach other people's boundaries. We breach our children's boundaries. We breach our partner's boundaries. And it's not like it's happening all the time, hopefully. But we are all on this spectrum of predator and prey. And we all need to do the work to have access to that full spectrum so that when we want to be really engaged, really powerful, really productive, really awake and alive to the world, we can be. And when we need to be resting and eating and playing and, um, you know, engaging that that we can actually be totally relaxed as well. Love this. And, and you know, the one stuck out again, back to the trauma piece is that you're saying that everyone experiences trauma. When, when you said that, I went, yeah, you're right. But I actually had to pause and think about that. Right. Just because it's, it's <laughs> things that 
it's it, trauma is not something that's you can that someone tells you this is traumatic, right? It's how our bodies process it. So you can have if you have a couple of kids, they could go through the same experience, and one experiences it as a trauma, and the other doesn't. One experiences it as something that their system has held onto, and then they have a reaction to that every time. I mean, you we all know. I just had to get a COVID test yesterday. I have had, this was my second one. The first one went so far up my nose that I pulled the person's hand out of, hand out of my nose. Wow. And I'm like I said, I'm a rolfer. I've done tons of nasal work, but our, our nose is a, it's an opening. And so are our genitals. And if people have had forced experiences then, and so my daughter is also, she's traumatized by the first time that she had the nasal swab. So before the person's even walking towards her, her head's already in a flight response trying to get away with, from that. So wow. that's just an example of something that we do need. So we need to have that, right? Like our brains are telling us we need to have this. It's true. We needed to have the test, but our body is remembering something from the past. And we have this idea like the dentist, tons of people have dental trauma because of the way if they've been under anesthesia, anesthesia has a traumatizing effect on the body. It puts us in a freeze. Do we need anesthesia? Most of the time, yes, when we're getting it. So it's not that we can not get it, but it's that we have to be aware that, for instance, if you're shaking afterwards, you want to let yourself shake. Um, yes. If you're feeling hazy and freezy, that's because you're, and if you have a parasympathetic dominance where you're already prone to freeziness and your body maybe doesn't metabolize anesthesia as easily, you just want to know that so you can care for yourself. So, you know, in the birth work I do, so many women blame themselves. Why didn't I say this to the doctor? Why didn't I say this to the midwife? Why did I say this and not that? This happened and I didn't want that. It's because they're already in an altered state. And then in that altered state where you're more vulnerable, we're requiring that women defend themselves because of the medical system that they're in. And it's just, it, we're asking too much of an already tasked system. And then if you're anesthetized, people say, well, yeah, I got the epidural. And then like the doctor said this and I didn't do this. It's like, yeah, because you were already, your physiology was already in a freeze state. So you're more likely to have less access to sympathetic energy of the good kind. It's funny that you bring up dental work because I've always asked to avoid the freezing and I've all had all my fillings without the freezing. And then I opted out of the epidural um, for multiple reasons, but the biggest being I was more afraid of the epidural and being frozen. And I never really thought about it, but I just, I feel like I almost want to be able to feel so that I I'm not unconscious or like just consciously or, or by accident traumatized, right? Like when you're getting dental work, they'll be more careful <laughs> in my head, I guess. Mm. Um, and then the after effects, right? So if you have, if you're, if you're frozen or you have an epidural, the forceps, right? So the forceps can come out because you can't push. And so I think I was more fear. I had more fear about that getting frozen just because what can happen, right? That the trauma without even, um, just like, cause you're numb and you're, yeah. So I don't know, just kind of interesting thoughts around well, the fear of, norm yeah. yeah. And we tend to normalize it. So like I was in a labor with my sister and she had had an epidural and she couldn't feel one of her feet. So her foot kept falling off of the bed. And so I pretty much spent the whole time, you know, five or six hours just holding her foot and cupping it so that she had a complete proprioceptive map because our 
our brain is going to register danger if we can't perceive parts of our physical body. It's going to, and it's going to, we're more vulnerable, obviously, because if we're anesthetized, we can't escape. If we needed to fight or flee, we can't do it. And our system knows that. So our brain might tell, we were telling ourselves, no, you're safe, you're safe, but your body's going, but actually, if I was really threatened, I couldn't do anything right now. So we need this complete proprioceptive map. Again, tons of people are listening and going, I had an epidural and I loved it. Some people, you know, there's all kinds of realms of experience, but the point is not, it's not the thing. So a cesarean is a surgery. Right now, there's a huge birth movement saying birth is best, fed is best. It doesn't matter if it's breastfeeding. It doesn't matter. It does matter. It doesn't, it's not a moral value. It doesn't mean you're right or wrong, good or bad, nothing like that. It just means if you have a cesarean, that's a surgery and your body registers that as an invasion. And so many times I work with women that have recurring pain in their incision site and it's not, it's emotional. It's feelings that they had for the doctor for danger at the time, all kinds of things that get stored in the scar tissue. And the yes. scar tissue doesn't heal until the emotion and the story, a scar is a physical artifact of trauma. Um, so we need scarring because we need repair, but we don't need adhesions, which is what happens when the scar tissue proliferates and acts like an infection, oftentimes because of this unresolved trauma and emotions. Um, so if, and, and if a baby is born cesarean, the, the baby also has things it needs to work through. It has incomplete re reflexes. It wasn't colonized by the same bacteria. So we just can't normal it, normalize these things that are not in accordance with our biology. Again, it's not a moral question. It's not an ideological question. It's a biological and physiological question. Mammals, human mammals are meant to be born vaginally. Can all of them be born that way? No. Okay. So when you're not, here's the things that we need to have in place. And also for women not to blame themselves because most of the time people real, were very hard on ourselves. Why aren't I getting better? Why is this happening? You know, and all of that just is like, well, you're not getting better because you haven't had adequate care and there's no system of help that's really addressing all of these layers that are integral to wholeness. Wow, so powerful. And gosh, we could break every piece of it down for an hour, really. <laughs> but we're not going to. And we will be doing a second episode looking at more of the fourth trimester. So I'll add in my personal story, by the way, after. Mm. But, um, you know, we want to move on. Like, I, mean, I just, we just love how passionate you are. And you, it sounds like you have a really clear mission. But so what informed you? Like, what was your background to says, I'm going to do this? Hmm. I mean, aren't those just, aren't there just these things that your soul won't, won't like, won't let go? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, you know what, I love that you say this, because when I wrote my book Pathways to Pregnancy for people that are fertility challenged, because I don't believe in infertility, like you when we're talking about trauma, it's in that moment, right? So um, my mentor Dr. Randy Lewis, she says, Mary, do you really have to write this book? Because I actually don't recommend it because <laughs> it's hard, right? And, I, and she's like, but I get it if you, if you really have to and just ask yourself why. And mm -hmm. I had to really think about it for myself. And, and it's like, damn it, I actually have to. Like it was like this calling that I had to call forth so that I can inspire and offer hope and um provide advice that no one else tells you just kind of like what you're saying. It's like, everybody's treating 
that moment in that microscopic way, but you know, you're dealing with all these leftover traumas that nobody even wants to touch, right? It's that like your hoo-ha is completely off limits. So, and you're like going straight in and helping women straight out. Like it's phenomenal to me. So, yeah, I mean, I think I can respond in terms of Tanya's question too, that I didn't totally answer about me to we is that, you know, this, overculture that we're living in, this white overculture in North America, there's so many ways that it's misogynistic and that, you know, the female body is derivative. Most of the studies happen on male bodies, whether it's nutrition, exercise. Um, My yoga was taught to me by men. um, And then, you know, then I had a baby and it was like, wow, I don't actually have any reference points for what I'm going through. And I also was like, it doesn't need to be this way. And then once I started speaking with women about their pelvises, people were like, oh yeah, my tailbone's been hurting for three years. Okay, well, what happened three years ago? I had a baby. Well, has anyone worked on you? No. And I started to realize like, there's this whole realm of being as a woman that's just completely, it's like a black hole. It's like, you don't talk about it. It's, it's under wraps. And I have a 13 year old daughter and I started having thousands of women telling me these stories that were very clear, like very clear. Um, You know, I have vulvodynia since I was 21, this person would say. And then I would say, well, what happened when you were 21? I had an abortion. Uh, I'm like, okay. And then they, she would say, but, but I've already told, I'm in a three-year longitudinal vulvodynia study, and they told me that has nothing to do with it. And it's like, well, of course it has something to do with it. How could it not have anything to do with it? And then we would work together a couple of times, and then the symptoms would go away. So it was like, this isn't, it's, it's not so complex. It's not, it's actually very simple, but I think that's where we're at as a culture is like, can we believe that simplicity actually has answers? Can we believe that do, can we not overcomplicate and really get back to the basics of what we know about being in relationship with nature? And I don't adhere to all of the alarmist um, rhetoric about really anything because that just it's just not functional for me and I can't do the work I have to do in the world if I'm thinking constantly about how, you know, the climate change and every other thing that's, you know, not okay with how we are like even the framework the framework that as humans we're like the oppressors of the earth like we are we also are nature right like that just makes it seem like we're somehow not nature we are nature ourselves so we can't only be in that relationship but we in order that we can be together and when i say we i mean like all the species but specifically human animals we are in such a polarized moment where people are afraid to say what they really think People are, you're either this or you're that. If you are this, then you have to believe this, this, and this. If you're that, you can only believe this. Don't say this, do do this. And there's all of these ways that you can show who you are to to be coded as good. It's extremely stressful. And I also just don't feel that love is at the basis of it. So I have tons of heart. I'm an activist at heart. My undergraduate degree is in social policy. Like justice is really one of my main objectives for what I do. But I also really want to live in a culture where we can speak to each other and we can honor each other's humanity. And that's really the goal of the book is like, how can we become more human together? 
How can we listen to one another? How can we hear each other and what we're saying that maybe it's not just our words are saying it, but our whole system is saying it. And the Jaguar work is really about aligning your facial expressions, your vocal tone, the content of what you say, and your and how your physicality registers so that when you say something, your children listen or your partner listens or your boss listens, because we're oftentimes communicating in ways that are electrochemical remnants of our past. And it's diminishing our power to be trustworthy and coherent in the present moment. Wow, Kimberly, that's freaking amazing. So there you have it. Call of the wild. How do uh, we heal trauma, awaken our own power, and use it for good. So you can go to our website, uh, which is embraceyoufirst.com. We'll have the link um, in our show notes. And how do we get in touch with you if the viewers want to see you or talk you to you? You can go to KimberlyAnnJohnson.com. Um, that's where all the courses and books are. Um, the f- you can read the first chapter for free on the site, KimberlyAnnJohnson.com slash chapter. And the first chapter kind of lays out a a real world understanding of your nervous system and includes connective tissue and polyvagal theory. Love it. And, you know, I think that coming out on um, the 13th, we'll be having some parties and book clubs. So you should join in. Well, we're releasing it. So when people are listening to it, it is the day of your book launch. So it's going to be awesome. So pick up the book because it's available now. Is it offered on Audible yet? Yes. Okay, awesome. Pardon me? I'm the reader. Yes. I read yeah. Yes, cuz uh well I we've been listening to your book as well. So we're going to okay. talk about that in the next episode cuz you've got so much to say and, and by the way, um it, like wasn't this an awesome episode and if you agree with us, then seriously, I think every woman and man on the planet needs to read this book. So thank you. Oh, Thanks. before we close off, uh, do you want to do the honors Tanya with our question? Sure. How did you fill your cup recently? I have, I filled my cup. Well, my daughter is playing music now. So she just practices for hours and hours a day. And so I just kind of stopped what I was doing to kind of eavesdrop on what she was working on. And that really fills my cup. Thank you for joining us. Click subscribe, like, and share. Please comment and suggest topics you want us to cover. Until next time, ask yourself how you're going to embrace you first today. For more podcasts, check out embraceyoufirst.com. And follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.